Well, guys, one of the things here at Springs Community Church that we love is it's in our middle name. It's community. I got to see this lived out recently by a friend of mine. We're in community group together. It, it was, a, I think, a Thursday afternoon in our, our community group. And, and if you're new here, what that is, it's a life group, small group, whatever group you want to call it. We're really big on them. And I got, we, we stay in touch throughout the week using GroupMe. So I got this GroupMe message. It's like a text string if you don't know GroupMe. I got this text message from him, as well as the rest of the group saying, hey, would you guys pray? You see, my friend during the summer, because he works um, during the school years as a teacher, but during the summer, he's doing everything he can. Hey, how do I pick up jobs, do work, making the most of the time? So he works for Texas Tubes. So those massive school buses that drive through downtown back and forth that we all know that just carry a bunch of tourists back and forth, right? He drives one of those and he comes. It's part of his, his job during the summer. He sent out this text message, and I was so grateful for it. He said, hey, guys, would y'all please pray for me? Pray, because right now, and he was just told it was towards the evening on a Thursday. Hey, pray, because on the way, there's a company that's bringing 80 strippers to come and float the river. And so I'm going to shuttle them back and forth up and down the river. Hey, would you pray for my heart that I would put no unwholesome thing before my eyes? Pray as he's fighting to love and honor his wife as well as live in the faithfulness of being a follower of Jesus Christ in a standard of holiness that he calls for. He says, man, would you pray for me? Absolutely. So you see this, you get this text message, I see that, and I can just imagine, man, if that was me, I'd like have to look at the steering wheel and then look down, but you want to be a good host, so it's so hard, and God, would you, so we start praying for that. Five minutes go by, that same guy, as our group's kind of responding, yes, we'll pray. Five minutes go by, and he sent out another text. And his next text was, hey guys, would you also pray that God would work in the lives of these women and perhaps these men? Would you work in their hearts for those perhaps of that group that know Jesus and then those who don't know Jesus? Would you pray that he would work in their lives the same way he's worked in mine, not with self-righteousness, but with faithfulness? I can remember getting that text from him on the way back and just thinking, God, I wish I'd thought of that. It showed this amazing heart. Because right there, it's right that he reached out and said, hey, will you pray for me? That, that's one of the things at the Springs. We know you have baggage and sin and problems. Welcome, so do we. We fight to walk in a faithfulness, not in slavery to, but in victory of those problems here. But one of the things that I loved is him saying, despite, hey, personal holiness, he also had this mindset. They need to know the love of God. They need to know the same love that I have, that my wife has, that we come and celebrate where there's forgiveness of everything. He can redeem anything. There's no such thing as a scarlet letter in the local church, the people of God. It doesn't exist. Why? We would all have it. And Christ died for us where he took it. It was this amazing reminder of our mission as Christians. How you and I, we have this divine obligation, but really divine privilege. Man, we gotta tell everybody about Jesus. Everybody. No matter what. 
The reason I share that is because if you've been hanging out with us, we're journeying our way through the book of Philippians. It's this amazing letter that this, this church leader, the Apostle Paul, he wrote it to this church to strengthen them. And where we are this week, you're gonna see this crazy boldness where, where this Christian, in spite of pain, difficulty, suffering, persecution, wrongful imprisonment, he says, I'm gonna tell people about Jesus. No matter what. Regardless of circumstance, regardless of situation, and then we'll even see, regardless of other Christians trying to attack me, trying to tear me down, trying to discredit me. And we're just gonna learn today. Are you and I, we have a mission, we have a purpose, we have a meaning for life, right? And it is to make much of God, but a way that we do that is you and I, we preach no matter what. See, when, when you say the word preach, a lot of times, and this can happen for me, is folk, folks tend to think, oh, you mean preach, like something like perhaps what I, I'm doing right now, where you stand on a stage, you have a microphone, every now and then you like yell loudly, all that kind of stuff. You probably say repent a couple times, that's preaching. Well, preaching, it can mean, even the word, to herald loudly, to proclaim. It, it can mean that. But what you'll see through the text today, it also carries this theme of, man, you just gotta talk to people. You just have to tell them. And, and we are called to tell people, no matter our situation, no matter our circumstance. I think why this matters so much is so many times, especially Christians, especially people in the church, we go through life with this sense of meaninglessness. Where, where we don't have purpose. Like a great example so many times that you can use is like, like we have a job, but we resent the job. And there's no joy for us there. Here's what you gotta know. You can have a really hard job. You can leave your job. But every Christian, no matter what their job is, CEO, person who cleans the floors in the evening, the one who goes out and financially brings home an income, or the one who stays home to take care of and disciple a family, whatever your job, the purpose doesn't come from the job itself. The sense of meaning, the mission, it doesn't come from the thing itself. It comes from what you've been sent to do. And in every situation, in every circumstance, we are called to preach, no matter what. And what's amazing about that too is so many times you can get around Christians and they get around non-believers where non-believers will start to say, well, hey, what do you really want from me? And you can almost begin to see Christians like God-fearing, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching people say, well, hey, no, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just trying to convert you. I don't want you to just know Jesus. I'm just trying to be a friend and to love on you. Here's what's true. Be a friend. Love on everyone. But here's what's absolutely true. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, God is in charge of it. But I absolutely want you to come to know Jesus. That is absolutely my first primary priority, hope, and prayer. Everything trickles down from that. Church, I share that because here's what's true. Because we so love God because we really do believe that you and I, we were sinners, we were set apart, that your brokenness and my brokenness, it wasn't deserving of an eternal relationship with him, it was deserving of eternal separation 
judgment, yet he didn't want that for you. He didn't want it for me. So instead of making you and me have to work our way to be this better version of ourself for some penance of eternity, he sent his son to die for a broken, sinful, temperamental, moody, lustful, insecure person like me. Person like you. And it's not only that he comes and he saves us, but he then comes and he wants to sincerely give us an abundant life. A life that isn't marked by the same pain. A life that isn't marked by the same anxieties and worries and nervousness, but a life that walks with a sense of fullness knowing there's difficulty. But knowing he came to give good things. Like so many times, we don't, we don't have that as a church. We don't have that as a people of God. We go through life with the same curmudgeon sense of like rote devotion is people who don't believe what we believe. That's confusing. You'll see today what was not just true of Paul, what's meant to be true of every Christian. He's not super Christian. He's Christian. He doesn't have more of the Holy Spirit. He has the Holy Spirit. You and I can have the same type of love for God, the same type of zeal to where no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, we preach, we tell others about Jesus, no matter what. Where are we gonna see that in the text today? We're gonna be in Philippians chapter one. So if you have a Bible or you wanna check it on your iPhone or anything like that, it's Philippians chapter one. We're gonna look at verses 12 through 18. 12 through 18. And really, as we talk about how you and I, we're called to preach. And again, as I use that word, don't think standing with a microphone. Think, okay, how do I fearfully tell the server who comes to deliver the food at my table? How do I engage the person at HEB? How do I try to take the next step with a patient that comes through my office? How do I engage my classroom or fellow teachers in a different way? How do I assert my faith in a boardroom in downtown San Antonio overlooking the city skyline? Wherever. That's what we mean. So the first way we're going to see that is you and I, we, we preach no matter what, no matter our situation. We're called to do this no matter our situation. And the second thing is we're called to preach this. And we're going to explain this part a little bit more. So if it confuses you at the beginning, just, just hang on when we see it in the text. No matter their intention. And really where that'll come is no matter our intention. To set up kind of where we're going, right? The Apostle Paul through Philippians, he's just written this amazing paragraph of prayer and celebration for this church. It was a church in first century. It's kind of northeast Greece. It, it was located there. Paul had gotten to know them. He'd gone away for about 11 years. This church heard that the apostle Paul, the writer of this letter, was in prison. And he was in prison because he kept doing what he did for them, which was telling people about Jesus. And so knowing he was in prison, they wrote him this letter and they sent him these financial funds to where Paul, he started this letter celebrating their faithfulness with this heart of gratitude. Where we were last week is Paul, he's thanked them. He like begins to overflow with this sense of joy and love. 
where this guy, it's almost like the person who just can't wait to talk about their favorite subject. He just spills over into, and man, I pray that your love would abound more and more. But then Paul, where we are today, is he has to address the obvious. They reached out to him wondering, okay, man, you're in prison. How are you doing? Are you okay? Can you give us an update? Are you discouraged? Are you encouraged? Like, like imagine if, because of your faithfulness, you were imprisoned. How would you feel? You'd want someone to check in on you. They're, they're checking in on him. And this is Paul giving his response. So again, if you have a Bible, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 12 through 13. We're going to start 12 through 13, and then we're going to look at 14 through 18 after that. The Apostle Paul starts there. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So the first thing he's going to say, I'm going to read it one more time. So I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me. That's all the difficulty. We're going to talk about it. All the difficulty that I have been through has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The first theme that we're going to see out of this text is we talk about how you and I, we are called to preach no matter what, is we are meant to do so no matter our situation, no matter our circumstance, no matter the high of the moment and the joy that we're feeling or the pain and the despair, no matter if we are in a place in our life where we feel like we are thriving or if we are in a place of life where we are doing our best to just get by, you have the job of your dreams or you are faithfully enduring a sense of suffering while you remain somewhere not knowing why you're still there. We preach no matter our situation. Let me show you that here from the text because Paul starts out, he has this theme where he's saying, I know I'm in jail, but don't worry because God sent me to jail. It's this beautiful trust in like the sovereign, always in control hand of God. And Paul, he sets it up right there at the beginning. I I want you to know brothers It's like he's been writing to them and then he has this heart where he just leans in and he says, hey guys, really? I know you've been worried about me in prison. Here's what I want you to know. And then he connects with them. With that language of brothers is what he's talking about. Hey, people who believe the same thing I do. People who know God as Father. Jesus Christ is brother and friend. Holy Spirit is preserver. You gotta know this. And he sets up something that if we're honest, it's ridiculous. That if we're honest, if he had written this letter and not said this has served to advance the gospel, we would all come and say, no, that's completely understandable. But that's not what he says. He says, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This word advance, it was fun getting to look at it. It's a military term. Your Bible, it may say progression, advance. It was, it was strategically to overcome an obstacle or to overcome an enemy threat. Right before that, Paul just said, hey, what has really happened to me has served to advance, to progress the gospel. What's happened to Paul up to this point? Like, no, literally in his life, like as he sits in this prison cell, what what has happened? 
I'll give you a little brief history. If you want to see this, you could pick up your Bible, start in Acts for context. I'd start in 18, I'd go all the way through 28. But to give you a quick little summary of some, if not all, of what has happened to this man as he says that. For some appointed time, he's been in a Roman prison cell. We know he stayed in that Roman prison cell under house arrest where he had to financially support it himself through the goodwill of others for some time within two years. Maybe it was towards the end of his two-year time there. Maybe it was towards the beginning. But he sits in prison. Before that, he'd gotten on a ship because the ship had to take him to Rome. He'd gotten on a ship. This ship hits a reef. Paul survives. He basically gets on a plank, gets to shore, crawls up on shore, and gets bit by a viper. He's bit by a viper, and then he's taken back again into custody, taken to Rome where he goes into prison for two years. Before that, he'd been in prison for another two years in a town called Caesarea. Before that, there had been 40 Jewish leaders. This is my favorite. Literally, in the Bible, it says this. 40 Jewish leaders made like a pinky promise, blood-packed swear. We will kill Paul. And we won't eat or drink until we do it. Forty of them. Right before that happened, you know what Paul did? He went into a town and he started telling them about Jesus. People became jealous of Paul and they disliked his message about Jesus. So this mob gets incited that wants to kill him. And the only way to save his life was for Roman guards to arrest him and put him in their custody. Because if they hadn't, they would have killed him. That is what has really happened to him. You could go back through the book of Acts and you would find things like he was beaten repeatedly, he was run out of town, he was imprisoned, he had been through it. And yet he has this mindset. All of that has advanced the mission. Preach, no matter your situation. He starts to explain then why he was so grateful for it. Because you got to remember, he's sitting in this prison cell and he says, since that time, the whole imperial guard has come to know about God. The imperial guard, there's kind of two different ways to look at it. It was either a place or it was a part of a section of the Roman army. Most people think it's a section of the Roman army. Imperial meaning palace. These were the elite soldiers handpicked by Caesar, the elite soldiers that protected Rome and they protected Caesar. So what their responsibility would be is every day a new set would come and guard the house in which Paul was staying. And then some lucky person would have the privilege, custom says, they were chained to the wrist of the apostle Paul every day. And Paul's saying, I have a captive audience. He's saying, hey, I can yell louder than these windows can keep noise in. He's saying every day I get the chance to engage with someone. And these are people, because Paul, at the end of this, he's going to put this humble brag right at the end of this book in chapter 4, where he's going to talk about who, who greets these folks, who, who they've engaged, who their ministry's been allowed. And he's going to say, hey, because of you, members of Caesar's household have come to know you. The only people who could have gotten to Caesar's household would have been those guards, would have been the ones chained to the Apostle Paul. And what does he do during this time? He tells them about Jesus. And what else does he do? He says, I have to tell the rest of them all. And they see 
that my imprisonment was for Christ. I, I want to read a verse in Acts, because it just goes to show, it's Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. We'll have it up on the screen. It's talking about Paul in his house arrest. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. He had to fund his prison. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So you can imagine the Apostle Paul, he sits there and he gets a new member of the Imperial Guard and says, hey, can I tell you about what's changed my life? You can imagine that people would come and they'd visit Paul, local Christians in Rome, as his notoriety would have grown and these church leaders would have known that he was there. They'd come and they'd ask him questions and he'd say, hey, can I tell you about what has changed my life? And what is he doing? He's saying, my situation is not a hindrance. My situation is a divine appointment. That I'm here in a way that God has been in control of. It is for Christ. He's brought me through everything. He'll take me as far as he wants me to go. My situation is not a hindrance. My situation is a divine appointment. Guys, we preach. No matter our situation. Why I think this is crazy when I think about our lives is that's so often not how I think of things. That is so often not how I, I consider it, where instead I start to think, especially like, and I've passed jobs, like, hey, I don't know if this is right for me. I don't really feel a sense of fulfilling and longing. It, that doesn't matter. How are you engaging people with a greater mission? Where we come and we say, because of my circumstance, I have excuse. No, because of your circumstance, you have a different audience. Your job gives you people that you can talk to that we can't get to, that I'll never meet. Your, your trip down to San Antonio, every day sitting in traffic, offers you an opportunity to think through and pray through, God, how would you use me? Not a heart to check out and say, I can't wait to get out of here. Now, can you change jobs? Yeah, change jobs. But regardless of circumstance, we preach a friend of mine and member here at the Springs, he told me a story this once that really exemplified this. He had a job, and he was driving down to San Antonio. It was, it was a sales job. He had a job for a few years, and he'd grown to a point where he deeply resented it. Didn't want to go. Monday would start to come, and it was one of those, I don't want to be here. Why? Because he couldn't see a sense of meaning in it. There was no purpose. There was no joy. Didn't feel like a sense of, I'm really getting to use my gifts it was a situation, it was an environment that he didn't want. Well, he got around people here and he, and he started to realize this sense of, hey, wherever you go, God's not looking for you to be a worshiper of him for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. God's looking for you to be a missionary on his behalf Monday through Sunday, wherever you go. And it started to change the way he thought about his job. He knew his heart wasn't there, so it's amazing even talking to him because he says, here's, here's the only thing I need to do. I just started praying by name for people in my office because I knew the best chance I had to actually engage them with something was to change my heart first. So he just starts listing these names. He told me about Liz. He told me about Tony. He told me about a man named Javi. His heart begins to pray to where he begins to soften to where he actually starts to engage with people to where he has this sense of, God, I don't know what you're looking to do, but I'm here if you want to use me. 
He worked in the sales office that's connected to a warehouse. One of the warehouse workers began to spend more and more time with him. His name was Javi. He starts to get to know Javi. Javi just had his first kid. So he starts hearing about that, hearing all of his background. And here was Javi's background. Javi had grown up on the wrong side of San Antonio. Grown up in a broken family to where it became his family was a legitimate and true gang. To where he rose through the ranks of that is both user of drugs, dealer of drugs. To where Javi's nickname in the community became Slugger, tattooed down on his arm. Javi was put on trial for two murders. He was not convicted because evidence was too circumstantial. But Javi acknowledged, I killed them and others. Javi was a broken man in a broken place who had been in and out of jail and prison. But he'd come here, why? Because he just had this baby girl and he wanted to get his life right. And he ends up sitting in my friend's office. They end up striking up conversation, talking about, hey, how is life? How is that? My friend sharing his faith with him. Javi beginning to grow, beginning to think through what relationship with Jesus could actually do for him. Started considering churches, even in his own local neighborhood. Started going to another church. And then something happened to Javi that happens to a lot of us. He relapsed. He relapsed, and for him it was heroin. He relapsed on heroin, which to where it effectively, after time and time and time again, he lost his job. Once he lost his job, he went further into the addiction and began to sell. Well, once he started selling, the police got a hold of him, and he then did, and I don't know exactly the full reason as for why, about six months in jail. Three days after getting out of jail, he accidentally ODs on heroin. Guys. My friend at that point had been talking with Javi, who had been engaging with Javi, who had this mindset of like, I have no idea why I'm in this job. I don't want to sell this stuff. There's no purpose to it. There's no real sense of mission or meaning. Had made this friend. This friend had made broken decisions the way that we all can. And this friend had died. Well, my buddy starts learning about Javi, ends up connecting with some other people. And here's what was true. During that six months of time where Javi was in jail, towards the end of it, there was a two-month stint where there was another prisoner who had been placed in jail for sins that were rightly deserved, who'd been placed in jail but used his time in jail to grow in his faith, to repent of his sin, to change a love for God. And he did a Bible study with Javi every day for two months. He shared how, no, I can remember sitting there Beside Javi, leading him by the faith that comes through God into a relationship with Jesus Christ and telling my friend, you don't need to worry about where Javi is. Guys, I share that story for two reasons. Two reasons. One guy, affluent, suburban community, with a long commute where he resented a circumstance, a situation, a job that he didn't want, by the grace of God said, I'm going to be faithful no matter my situation. God used that. To what extent? I don't know. How many other people did God use? I don't know. That was his story of coming and saying, I'm going to preach no matter what. And then there was this other faithful person in jail who said, I'm not going to waste the opportunity. I'm not going to language in the pain or what I don't like, but I too, man, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to preach no matter what. Why? God wanted to make sure the first person that Javi 
saw face to face was him. Church, we are meant to preach, no matter your situation. If it's, if it's staying at home with kids, it's so hard because it's exhausting, it's resentful, and you just try to get through it. Hey, fight for a sense of purpose, and how do I grow a sincere love of God in little ones? If it's in an office environment where you feel like you have to walk on eggshells the entire time, and it's a terrifying thing at first to even represent your faith, pray that you might grow in a faithfulness to serve. If you are the overseer of a classroom where you just sit there and you think, I don't know how God could use, start to pray for those kids, name by name. Pray for opportunities when you walk into the break room to say, okay, God, how do you want to use me? Church, we preach no matter what, in the good and in the painful, no matter our situation. With that, let's see where Paul continues to weave this story as he keeps reminding us about our mission and what matters most. So so if you have a Bible, jump back with me. We're going to go now verses 14 through 18. And most of the brothers, so he's talking about Christians here in Rome, right? Talking about Christians in Rome and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, you see, these are those who do it out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Y'all see what Paul just said before we finish this? He said, the only person who put me in prison for two years, shipwrecked, allowed me to be bit by a viper, placed in another prison cell, was put there by God. Why? For the defense of the gospel. Does your theology allow for that? Does your love and trust of God allow for? Maybe he wants you in a difficult spot. Why? So that you might fight to thrive and thrive in him and in him alone. And maybe there's somebody else there that he wants you to tell. Verse 17. The former, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Guys, the second theme that Paul starts to talk about is how you and I, we're called to preach no matter what, but we still preach and we celebrate no matter their intention. Let me explain a little about what I mean. Paul, at this point, what's happened is he's come to Rome. Likely his reputation of being a faithful Christian leader, teacher, writer, pastor has followed him. And there have been people in this community, and Paul sets them up into two different categories, the people of the goodwill. And then the people you see his language is envelry and rivalry, two different categories of how people have responded how Christians, not non-believers, how Christians have come around him and given thanks for his faithfulness. They've been encouraged in boldness. They want to share the word without fear. Their hearts have been strengthened. And then there's a second category, a second category of Christians who are threatened by Paul, who what they begin to do in the community, and the text doesn't say exactly how or what it, what it looked like, but what they begin to do is they almost tear 
Paul down. They, they malign Paul, but what's true of them is wall tearing Paul down. It is sin. They still go and they preach the gospel. Their intention is, is using the gospel to not just advance God's kingdom, but to build their own. And what's Paul doing? Does that sin grieve him? Yes, it does. You see it in multiple places. We could turn to 1 Corinthians 3 where they start talking about, well, this church leader, well, that church leader, well, this church leader. And Paul just says, forget about the church leaders. Remember that God brings growth. That sin grieves him, but ultimately what Paul is saying is, if they're gonna tell people about my Jesus, I rejoice. If they're gonna take my name and rub it through the mud, but as they do so, they're then gonna go proclaim, you don't have to work your way to God. He's not some far off force. He's personal, he loves you, he knows you by name, and he died for you. If they're gonna tell him that, I rejoice. You see his language throughout envy. So many times, and man, th this can happen. So many times in the Christian community, we can come and, and we can preach. We can speak the word without fear. We can tell others about Jesus. But there's two categories, whether in pretense or in truth. Goodwill or envy and rivalry out of love or selfish ambition. You see his categorical language? What I love about this is here's, here's the first place I think that this shows up. People with jobs like mine. People with hearts like mine. I was in a meeting this past week with a group of uh, church planning pastors. I was so encouraged by the time. We, we literally start where we started praying through Isaiah 55 and, and right there in verse seven, there's this section where it talks about the sin that can still happen in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus. In this pastor group, we start talking and one guy, he just leans forward and he says, hey guys, I'm leading a church plant. The church plant is in this building phase. I feel the temptation to build my kingdom, not build God's kingdom. Will you pray? Hey, guess what happened? Every single one of the pastors went over and said yes and prayed for us. Like every heart, including the pastors, including mine, we can have a tendency to make an idol out of anything. We can have a tendency to not just say it's all about Jesus, but it's all about Jesus and me. I think this happens in church leaders. I think this happens in churches. I am not saying all churches are created equal. I don't believe that's true. I think they're ineffective, unfruitful churches that it would advance the gospel if they closed. That it would be a benefit to the kingdom of God if people stopped giving financial resources to them so they had to close. I absolutely believe that. But I think there are also some amazing, fruitful, God-fearing, gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches that their heart, and sometimes it's through a different direction, a different tradition, a different understanding, but they want to advance the kingdom of God imperfectly, same way we do. Hey, Springs, our responsibility, we must always be a church that loves God, that seeks to advance his kingdom first, and he wants to do that through building this to be a kingdom of his people in righteousness. That's true. But we are always for. We are always celebrating 
the people of God faithfully getting after it in other places. God wants to advance his kingdom everywhere. He wants to do it here. And he wants to do it there. I think it happens in church leaders. I think it happens in churches. I think it happens in church folk. Like you, you could connect this with, uh, like if you've ever been in a, 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 a Bible study background or a Sunday school environment or a community group or anything like that, where all of a sudden the leaders, we can, you can, you can begin to put on the line. I want them to grow in their faith but I really want them to make sure that they know that I'm really mature. I really want them to make sure that they know that I have great answers, good references. There's nothing wrong with great answers. There's nothing wrong with good references. But do you see how we shift out of preaching in pretense and not preaching in truth when immediately we come and we start sharing the message of Jesus, but we attach it with, but will you validate me? I think another way that this shows up, outside of just church rivalry, Christian rivalry, and this isn't how it was happening with Paul. I, I want to be upfront with that. But I think how it can happen here, I think Christians can have a hard time celebrating the successes of other Christians. Here's what I mean by that. We can come and even in this room get around each other, folks who are going through difficult times, Say it's monetary, difficult times. And then we hear about someone else getting a financial promotion. And if we're honest, man, our heart twinges a little bit because we're upset. And we start to think through, well, I've done this, why haven't I? Rather than our heart shifting towards, how do I celebrate that? I can remember even when I was single, right? And this, I think this happens in the singles community all the time where folks are praying for, pleading for a spouse, and then a dear friend comes, and they end up getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they have no idea if they'll even get married, and all of a sudden their dear friend starts to think through all the reasons why that person's not right and all the reasons why they feel left out. I think what's at the core of this, what was happening to Paul from church leader to church leader, is what can happen to us where we don't celebrate the wins that people can get because we wish that they were ours. Guys, anytime we do that, we put ourselves in the midst of a relationship. We begin to do so in pretense. It's not the real us, it's a facade. It's a front. Guys, one of the things that's true is you and I, if you're here and, and you believe in Jesus Christ, he wants you to tell the world about him. He wants you to fumble through it imperfectly, where, where people see you in public a little nervous as you go to do it, where, where you text out a community group right before, pray for me because I'm terrified I'm just gonna be awkward. He wants you to tell the world inward and indeed we preach. That preaching, it doesn't depend on our situation, on our circumstance. Whether you're in an environment where you're thriving or you're in an environment that emotionally to you feels like prison, that we step out of that and we realize who are the people in your life that you can get to that no one else can, that God doesn't want me as a preacher to go and tell them about Jesus. He wants you to go and tell them about Jesus. Who are the people you can get to? Your patients, your classroom, the boardroom, your family. Where can you get where you share no matter the circumstance, 
the good and the bad? Where can you share, where, where you come at it from a perspective of, man, I don't want to put myself in the middle of this. Well, I don't want to put my value. Man, this is self-preaching. I don't ever want to give way to the sin of seeking to serve you all so I can find my own validation. You know what happens when a heart switches into that? This happens in friendships. This happens in churches. This happens in community groups all the time where we go and our heart switches out of, hey, I'm here to love you, but really love that comes with a condition as long as you affirm and make me feel good about myself and as long as there's no tension. When our hearts do that, we shift out of loving someone to using someone. We shift out of serving someone to manipulating the relationship to get something we want. That is not, that is in pretense. That is not in truth. How do we do this, guys? What does this look like? Like, how do you and I shift then from a mindset of, okay, you're telling me to go and share. You're telling me to preach anywhere I go. Okay, how do I do that? I love what my friend who drove down, who met Javi did. He just stopped and he started to pray by name for people that he had access to that nobody else has access to. He did it because he needed a change of heart. So for you in, in your life, like, like your weekly rhythm, who are the people you can get to? Who are the people you have access to? Is it just your apartment? Is it just your job? Is it a mom's walking group, a dad's workout group? Is it a gym that you attend? Is it a job that you have? Who can you get to that no one else can then? Set a reminder on your phone that goes off every day you have that event before it. And in that reminder, all you put, pray for them. If we did that, how loving would we be? If we did that, how much more considerate would I be? How thoughtful? If we did that, would people look at us and see, okay, there's just something different. I've been around a lot of church folk, but there's just something different. I can remember, and I'll, I'll close with this, I can remember uh, about a year and a half after I trusted Christ. It was the first time really in faithfulness for me because life before that, like before knowing Jesus, I was broken, depressed, anxious. I had these like physical palpitations that put me in a doctor's office. I was out of my mind. I didn't sleep well. I had been riddled with this sinfulness and insecurity, everything from broken relationships with females to pornography to, to, to whatever. I was in pain. I can remember trusting Jesus Christ, realizing I don't work for this. I just believe in you because you love me and you died for me. It changed everything. I can remember for about the next year and a half, my life felt like this, this faithful and this natural just up and to the right. Like obedience came easy. Like faithfulness, I didn't really have to choose. I just wanted to. I just rode this joy and it was glorious. I don't think that's something you just get at the beginning of faith. I think you can carry that throughout. 
But I can remember about a year and a half was when reality started to sit in in my heart of there were times where I don't want to choose faithfulness. I want sin. I don't, I don't want to be God-honoring. I want to get what I want. I remember at that time I was dating my, my now wife, Taylor. And that was when sexual sin came into the relationship for the first time. I'd been freed from that. And it came back and it was crushing. And I can remember feeling this sense of failure, this sense of inadequacy, this sense of brokenness. And I can remember somebody told me to read a book. Right, I'd been faithfully studying my Bible, but they told me to read another book. Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. I hope some of you have read it. They handed me this book. It's written in old English. Like I had never heard of this book. Here's what's true. That up until about 1930, it was the most publicized book in history next to the Bible. People read it in schools. It had been translated in more languages. It was the book next to the Bible. And I can remember I got a hold of it and I started reading the story about a man named Pilgrim. It's just an allegory for a life of faithfulness. Pilgrim who then comes, he sets aside his burden, his backpack, he becomes a Christian and he then journeys on this world. And I can remember reading as this new Christian trying to figure out faith and what it looks like and are there ups and downs and what do I do when I share when I don't want to share? There are these ups and downs. And I can remember having this mindset of, that I learned from this book. The Christian life, it's like journeying through a mountain range. There are peaks and there are valleys. And I can remember there sitting with, with this book where I had to read it like twice because I couldn't understand Old English very well. Crying. Because it gave me a sense of hope. Because it instilled in me a sense of this is what faithfulness looks like. No matter what, I'm pursuing Jesus. No matter what, I'm telling people about Jesus. The amazing thing is how that book came to be. The author of that book is a man by the name of John Bunyan. Came about about the 16th century. John Bunyan, he was in England, and at that point, right, his faith had been growing. He was beginning to preach the gospel to the people, and the king did not appreciate it. John Bunyan, for his faith in preaching the truth of the gospel, was put in prison for 12 years in prison for 12 years. Every day, John would have the opportunity to go out into a courtyard where there was this fence that came across the community. It was in Bedford, England. And every day, he would walk out and he would preach to the other people in prison. And over time, he would preach to the citizens of this town that came. And from prison, even though put there, even though tried to be silenced, he keeps telling people and telling people and telling people so much so the warden takes him, moves him out of that, no longer allows him access to that fence line, puts him at a center cell to where no matter how loud he yelled, they could not hear him. And that was when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. A man in a jail cell pleading for a faith that said, I'm going to tell people about Jesus no matter what. That was when he wrote it. 400 years later, there I am, a broken, insecure, sin-riddled young man pleading for faithfulness. And I found it. And I read it. Thank God that there has been a long history of faithfulness of Christians who say, I'm going to tell you about the love of my king no matter 
what? Church. It is our responsibility to carry. It is our responsibility to continue that mantle. Preach. No matter what. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the reminder of that. I thank you for the truth of that in my life. How you call us to be faithful no matter our situation, no matter our circumstance, no matter if other people are tearing us down. We have this desire to to put our relationship with you for self-validation and use it, that you just call us to be faithful. Father, would you make us people who do that? Would you make us people who don't have to have the right answers to everything? We just have to represent the right and true God. Would you make this a distinctive of this body, people who so in love with you, and even when we don't do it out of feeling, we still choose to do it out of faithfulness, we preach. We tell people. We tell, we tell our classmates. We tell our fellow teachers. We tell the parents that we see at the school. We tell the people we hang out with when we go to the sports games. We tell the people in the boardroom where where we do business and engage. We instruct our family and we take it seriously at home in the development of the next generation. But we preach. You love us no matter what. So may we tell others about you no matter in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, hey, thank y'all for coming and hanging out at the Springs. We look forward to seeing y'all next week, but y'all go now. Have a great week of worship. See you Sunday.